Welcome to City Life Suffolk. Sorry, I came up a little too early. I just stuck it out. I stayed up here. I had a lot of stuff to bring up here. I looked at my husband before I came up, and I said, I have too much stuff, which is pretty much how our life goes when I'm carrying anything. I have a, a giant bag, a diaper bag. It's always too much stuff. People laugh at me when I come like in with Raj, I'm like carrying this, and then I have like four bags, and they're like, that's too much stuff, you know, you'll get to the point at some point where you're, you know, just the essentials, just what you need, you won't bring like bags and bags, and I just don't think I'm going to get there, I just think I like being prepared and having enough stuff, so whenever we go to the Dominican Republic, I've been on three, this is our fourth trip, right, so I've been on three trips, and I always bring way, way, way too much stuff, or other people think that, but then I'm the most prepared when we get there, and so then it turns out in my favor, and I bring really ridiculous things, like we, I bought a bite and sting kit, so that if anyone got bit by a snake, we could extract their venom, you know, because because I've, I've watched Grey's Anatomy, so I am kind of a doctor, basically. So... I just want to welcome you again tonight. If you have not met me recently, if you've been coming and you're um, new to our campus, I have probably been in the nursery, in the twilight nursery land that a lot of us have resided in at one point in our lives. Um, Raj, our two-year-old son, when we first got home from India, from um, bringing him home for our adoption, he would go the nursery find him, we were like, this is great, you know, he's adjusting, he's, he's just, he's a pastor's kid through and through, and I think that's because he was used to, that's what his life was usually like, was in childcare. and then at some point he realized that he could stay with mom, or mom could stay with him, and he was like, bump that, I'm not staying in this nursery by myself, my mom has all the snacks, she's really prepared, so I want to be with her, so um, I'm really honored to share with you guys tonight, and some of you may be confused, because you're used to seeing me up here just for Mother's Day, once a year, so it is not Mother's Day weekend. You can calm, you can calm yourself, but you do have now seven months to plan, and I'm letting you know right now, so you have no excuse for this coming Mother's Day, seven months from now, to not be the best Mother's Day ever. So, um, God has been steering my heart to take the stage in kind of a less comfortable way for me. I'm used to being up here for leading worship. And when you lead worship, the words are planned for you. And if that screen is working, they're back on the back screen for you. And other people are singing with you. So everyone is joining in together. So when you preach you or when you share, you have to plan the words. And they're coming out of your mouth. And you have to wait for people's reactions. And it's a little more intimidating for me, at least. So when I shared with my husband, Pastor Justin, that I kind of had a tug in my heart to just step into faith more and step out more. In the area of sharing, he quickly put me somewhere on the calendar so that I could not change my mind. It ended up working perfectly because he is now leaving for Dominican Republic tomorrow morning, as well as Nate and a couple other people, I think from our campus and a lot from the Hooper News campus. So my husband and eight other people are going to um, La Guasera. And it's pretty cool, the ministry we have there. You know, we I've supported, as our, our my family growing up, we supported a lot of kids. You know, we had the picture on the fridge, and it was amazing, but there was kind of a lack of connection there, because you knew they existed, you knew that hopefully the money was going towards them, you maybe would get a letter every now and then, but we actually get to meet these kids, we get to go in their homes, we get to pray for their families, we get to see their personality, you know, it's really, really neat, and it's a cool opportunity, we have this opportunity for 10 years, our commitment with this village, and I think that's really special, because we're not just coming in to give them, you know, seven days of, 
hey, here's our help as Americans, and we've, we have funds, so we want to bless you. It's, we're coming, and we're building things there, like a water filtration system that's going to last them a lifetime, that's going to last them generations, and that they're going to run and is going to provide jobs for them. So I think that's really amazing. So you can hear tonight I sound kind of like I swallowed a frog. I've not been sick in the longest time with, like, a cold or anything like that, and all of a sudden, here comes a sinus infection and an ear infection to try to discourage me. But no, I'm here and I'm sharing tonight. Even if my voice goes out, I had a bad dream that my voice went totally out. And I was like, okay, greeting groups of five and we're going to share about this and I'll see you later. So that's not going to happen. Someone actually gave me, Kimberly gave me a halls. She was back there and I was like, is that a cough drop? Can I please have one? And it says on here, to be unstoppable, to power through, to push on and to inspire envy, which I'm probably not going to try to do that one. But that's encouraging me. My T here says to be heard. So I think that's an encouragement as well. (laughs) And I've got my chapstick and all the other good stuff here. So um, I'm grateful to be a part of a church that champions women serving in ministry. It's amazing. It's not just that we tolerate women serving or we kind of sheepishly are like, okay, well, we can try this out. Like, we champion women serving in ministry. And as I look in this room, and I think of our Newport News campus and all the women that have ever served or that have ever been a part of City Life, I think about the calling and the destiny in each of them and how that could be just squashed, you know, if that wasn't the heartbeat of our church. And so I'm really thankful for that. And, you know, I kind of, I don't wish the devil good luck, but I'm like, good luck in holding our women back because our women will not hesitate to take their earrings off and fight the devil for their families, for their future, for their faith, for their church. And I'm really thankful for that. Um, We now have on staff Pastor Vanessa, who is a force to be reckoned with. And that is just the beginning, I know, of what God's going to do in the women that call City Life their home. So let's get started because I can take two pages of notes and make them last for two hours. And then all of us would be screaming and crying for food and sleep. So I'm speaking on something I'm passionate about tonight, and that's grace. So the title of my sermon, if you're taking notes tonight, is Then Came Grace. And hopefully if you're on your phones, you're taking notes and not looking up Mother's Day presents that you can possibly do. So I just want to pray for us tonight before I start to share with you. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that, God, when we share, it's out of your word. It's from your heart. And we just pray that you would teach us something new tonight, that you would teach us something new about your character, about who you are, about what you're calling us to. And we pray that we would be able to take it and run with it as we leave this place tonight. God, we thank you for every person that's here. We know that it's rainy and it's chilly and it could be anywhere else, God, but they're here and we know that's for a reason. God, and you have something specific to speak to each of our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So those words, then came grace. You know, that, those words carry weight for me. It carries history. You know, the history of all the things that God has done in my life, the way he's shown me grace, the way that he's redirected me, the way that he's shown me favor, and the way that he's brought me you know, every detail in gra- that's been grace that's brought me here to stand right in front of you tonight. And I really believe that God has something new to speak to your heart about grace tonight as well. So I'm going to read to you out of John 1, 16 through 17. It's out of the NIV version, and it says, 
out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And that's John 1, 16 through 17. And when God encouraged me to share on the topic of grace, we know that's such a simple topic. But for us in our humanity, it's a really complicated or really um, extensive or complex topic. So when I told Justin I was sharing on grace, he was like, okay, so what about grace? Because grace is such a, a broad topic to speak on. So I felt like when God told me to speak on grace that my focus should be the role that we play in the gift of grace. So as I'm sharing tonight and as I'm encouraging you, it's just remember and, and note in your mind that our salvation, it comes from grace and grace alone. It's not something that we earn. It's not by any of our works. But grace should have a domino effect in our lives. You know, it should, it should affect us and it should affect the way that we walk out. Our, our Christian walk. It should affect our daily lives. So something I'm going to, you'll hear me refer back to often tonight is that grace is love in action that calls us to action. That grace is love in action that calls us to action. So my decisions in my youth, you know, would have led me to a different marriage. You know, I spent years defending this one relationship and telling people why it was the right thing and fighting for this relationship because I was young and it was dramatic and it was felt like a soap opera and we like that. I don't know why as teenagers we like the drama and we say we don't, but we do like it because we keep getting into it. And I ignored accountability. I compromised. I was living a life of fear because I didn't want to be alone. And I just want to encourage you tonight that if that is something you've ever struggled with or something that you're not married yet and you are looking at, you know, you want to be married, you want to have a spouse, you want to look into the future, don't compromise. Don't, don't compromise out of loneliness. I was so close to compromising out of loneliness, and I would be walking a completely different path right now. But then came grace. And my genetics and my family history would have driven me to addiction long ago. There's a long family history in my family on both sides of alcohol abuse and drug abuse. And, um, you know, I could have easily gone down that path. But God gave me grace. You know, then came grace. And that hasn't been a challenge for me. You know, chronic illness and diagnosis and misdiagnosis and feeling alone and not having diagnosis, that could have led me to isolation and depression. And I did walk through seasons of that, but I didn't get stuck there because then came grace. You know, all of these things in my life and more stories in my life, they've continuously or at one point or continuously required action on my part. And that was action on my part to let grace intervene, and to let grace have a say, and to let grace come in and sweep me off my feet and, and let grace permeate those areas of my life. I'm going to read to you out of Isaiah 55, 11. And this is the, a version of the Amplified Bible. It's AMPC. I can't remember what the C stands for. So it says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void without producing any effect or useless, but it shall accomplish that which I please and purpose, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Now, I believe that the devil, he was already celebrating some of the things in my life that he thought that he was going to win or he thought he was going to, you know, put me off track. 
but we know as Christians that it's never too late for grace. It's never too late for grace, and that's where the devil proves that he's foolish, and he proves that he's lost because <laughs> God will have the final say. You know, whatever God, God sends, the word that he sends out, it shall prosper in the thing for which he sent it, and it shall accomplish what he pleases and purposes. It shall not return void. And we know because we have Christ and because we have hope that the devil will always and only be dancing on empty graves. He will always be dancing on the empty grave of Jesus Christ. He will always be dancing on the empty grave of those things in our lives that he thinks he's won. And I just want to tell you tonight that it's never too late for grace. So I believe that two of the most common among many of the pitfalls that, you know, go along with grace and keep us from grace are these two things. The first is the rejection of grace. And that could be that we feel like we're not worthy of grace and we're not going to accept it. I think that can come from a poor self-image and it can come from insecurity, but I think it also can come from the fear that if we accept grace, we have to come into line with God's truth. And when we accept God's truth, then we have to walk in obedience. And so we just reject it because that's a lot to process and that's a lot to, you know, so we don't maybe say that, but that's how we live in our actions. So we reject grace. And then the second one is the assumption of grace, that God has always been there. He will always be there. He's shown me grace time and time again. You know, he's always, um, he's always come and he's coming at the last minute. And usually that's because we surrender at the last minute. And we don't always actually say that, but that's how we live our lives. We assume God's grace. And both of those things, they lead us to the same problem, and that's that we become irresponsible with grace. Grace brings us to a place of honesty and intimacy with God and with ourselves. Grace should propel us forward in growth. And with growth comes self-awareness. And with, growth, with that growth also comes the awareness of our desperate need for a Savior. And with that desperation, it brings up emotion and things that we don't really want to deal with and reality checks. This quote from Natalie Brenner, it says, the sweetness of grace and freedom comes hand in hand with the uncomfortable, bitter rawness of honest emotions and grief. And I believe that in some of our lives, we don't even know that we've shut grace off. We, we weren't even willing to open up our lives in some area, in some area of hurt or misunderstanding or abuse. And because of that, grace has just been waiting, you know, waiting in that part of our lives because God's not going to barge in. And so when those things come to the surface and we finally can walk in the sweetness of grace, it also comes with things that are uncomfortable and honest and raw emotions, and that hurts. So I want to quickly look at what God's word shows us to be true about grace. So if we're looking at the textbook definition of grace, it's that the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. And when we put it in, like, dictionary definitions, does it seem so insignificant, like, just to shrink it into this, like, two-line thing? It's funny to me whenever I talk about definitions of certain words, because I'm like, God is just so much bigger than that. He's so much bigger than this two-line definition of what this word means. But we know it, that mercy is what made way for grace. So mercy, the definition of that is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it, it is within one's power to punish or harm and performed out of the desire to relieve suffering. And this last part I love, it says it's motivated by compassion. 
A prominent Old Testament word describing God's grace is chaste. It's spelled C-H-E-S-E-D, chaste, C-H-E-S-E-D. And the word speaks of deliverance from enemies, affliction, or adversity. It also denotes enablement, daily guidance, forgiveness, and preservation. So the New Testament word that's used the most is charis, and that's C-H-A-R-I-S. And that focuses on the provision of salvation. So again, I want to read this verse to you, John 1, 16 through 17. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So the wording, that grace in place of grace, that's something I had to really think about and pray about and ask my husband about because he's smarter than me. And that wording, grace in place of grace, it's really not about grace being replaced. It's not that the grace that was in the Old Testament that this New Testament grace is better in some way or it makes the other grace go away. It doesn't mean that the law was abolished. It doesn't mean that it was totally done away with, but it does mean that it was upheld and elevated in Christ. So in the same way, every grace that's received is received with the capacity for greater blessing. You know, we see that in Matthew 13, 12, where, we're, where it says, whoever has more will be given. But the reason I refer to that, John 1, 16 through 17, is because there's something important for us to remember in that, and it's that grace has never been about the law. You know, the law and the Bible's commands, they're not given as an equation for us to earn God's love. You know, self-righteous religion says you have to earn God's love, but grace says you already have it. And it's hard for us to walk in full grace or, you know, in, in the grace that God has to give, the fullness of that grace, because it's really hard for us to understand something that's free. You know, how many things have you gotten in your life that are truly just free? You know, when we came home with Raj, we had the opportunity to do therapy for him, occupational speech, um, you know, those kind of therapies. And if it was through the hospital he was at, CHKD, we would have had to pay a lot of money and go to the appointments. And they would have worked to him with him. I'm not sure if I would have been able to be in the room or they just take him away. And we waited because... Wow, we had a lot of appointments going on, and we weren't ready for that. We just wanted to become a family first. And so a second opportunity came, and it was through early intervention care through our city. And so it felt too good to be true. So they came to our house, and they said, basically, your son, after they tested him, your son is eligible for any kind of therapy that you choose to, to put him in. So he literally could have, we could have picked every single therapy, which was going to have been too much for us to, to handle, but we started with two. And they said, because of your income, we've calculated it, and it's going to be free. And I was like, free? But, but what? Like, free but what? Like, with free with purchase or free, like, but then insurance is going to send me a bill? Because it's really hard for us to understand, you know, that something's free. Every time we hear here's just a free this. We're like, what's the catch? Okay, but what, what's the catch? And grace is just free. And because we don't have to work for it, it's harder for us to accept. You know, I think that, I remember when I worked in the corporate world, that I was subconsciously always trying to earn, like, the next raise. I was trying to earn my vacation. I was trying to earn my boss's, you know, favor. And that's how we work, you know, in our lives. We work to please our earthly families and, mo and mothers and fathers and our bosses, and we feel like we need to prove that we deserve the time off 
the blessings, the favor. I don't know about you guys, but every time I took a vacation, I felt like guilty. Like I worked my butt off to get this vacation. I'm turning my phone off. Leave me alone. Like every time I got back, oh, it was so hard when you were gone. And gosh, it was just really like, just let me have my vacation. This is my time. And I know people that just never went on vacation. They just never used that time because they felt so guilty. You know, they had seven weeks, nine weeks of vacation built up and they never used it. Because it's always about, you know, putting in the time and putting in the effort and, and earning favor. And that's the way that we kind of function sometimes with grace. That we think if we follow commandments, if we do good works, if we have good behavior, if we serve, then we can maybe accept grace more willingly. It may be easier for us to accept. But grace has always been through sacrifice. And that sacrifice has always been provided by God. Even when it was animal sacrifices, those sacrifices were provided by God. It was never just from man. And so I want to look at something that's interesting to me in Scripture. That's a repeated theme that grace comes through sacrifice. So there's a couple examples I just want to give you. And the first one is Adam and Eve. So we know that at some point they were clothed with animal skins. And something I never thought about is that that animal skin, it didn't just magically appear out of dust, but it can. It probably could have because that's how God created us, woman. But it came from an animal, so that animal had to be sacrificed. So that grace, you know, that covering, it came through sacrifice. You know, when Abraham went up to the mountain with his son Isaac, expecting to sacrifice his son, and his son even asked him, you know, what are we sacrificing? Can you imagine? Like, if God asked me to do that to my son, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to pick somebody else because I'm not going to do that. Like, I wouldn't even gotten to the point where he's at, where he's trusting. Like, I don't even know that my heart would have been willing. Actually, I know that it wouldn't have. So maybe I have some faith to work on in my heart. But God provided a sacrifice, an animal, a sacrifice in place. He provided a covering. When Moses and the Egyptians or the Israelites were going to escape from the Egyptians' power, after centuries of slavery, you know, he provided the Passover lamb. So he asked them to go get a lamb and to spread the blood over the door. And so that grace and that covering came through sacrifice. For the Levitical sacrifices to atone for our sins in the way that um, before Christ came, you know, they had to slaughter animals. And that was, man, that was a hard and bloody job. Can you imagine going home from a day's work, like that kind of work? But those sacrifices, they came from God. God provided the sacrifice. He asked us to give him the best, but he provided the animals for the sacrifice. But all those sacrifices in the Old Testament, they were bloodshed to bring temporary atonement. And they were all a shadow of the permanent atonement that would come through Jesus Christ. So grace is the ongoing, active, compassionate act of God working in us. But grace doesn't stop at salvation. And grace is love and action that calls us to action. It calls us to do something too. Not because we need to earn it, but because it should change the way that we live. So I want to talk to you guys tonight about three things, three things that grace calls us to accomplish in every season. So three things that grace calls us to accomplish in every season. And actually, I want to give away a gift card. I've been kind of serious for a while here, so I want to break it up. So I want to give this gift card to Kimberly, who gave me hauls and saved my throat. 
And Kimberly and her husband serve amazingly. I feel like every week I come here, her husband, Zach, is on sound. It's probably because we're just usually scheduled together, but um, they're amazing. So to see the value of people is my first point. So to champion my value as a person and then to recognize the value in other people. So 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. So I don't think there's many of us. You can raise your hand if there is. How many of you here tonight, you love to boast about your weaknesses? You just love to talk about all the ways that you're super weak and you wish you could grow. And it's, yeah, we don't do that. But what we, do, what we do is make fun of ourselves because if we do something ridiculous or we know we're really bad at something, we call it out in ourselves or we call it out, like, make sure that we're the first ones to do it. Because if someone's going to make fun of us, it's going to be us. Because we're not going to be the butt of the joke. We're going to create the joke and we're going to be a part of the joke. So we're really quick to judge and critique ourselves. And I think even more so we're quick to judge others. We don't even take the time to get to know somebody before we like, can verbally just tear them to pieces. And we see that a lot you know, on the news or social media, that someone made a decision that was morally corrupt or um, questionable. And most of the people, almost, I would say almost all of the people that comment on something like that, they, they're willing to tear that person down verbally without even knowing their past, without even knowing what abuse they've suffered without even, like, they just, they want to have a say and they just throw it out there. You know, one specific example I can think of is I was working, well, I still work for my dad's company and we um, do stuff with Disney World. And so there was articles we were publishing about, there was a young child, and he was only two years old, and he was attacked by an alligator and pulled into the water. And um, he did pass away. And so all these people on the page I just couldn't believe it. You know, I'm monitoring the page and taking off comments that are just uncalled for. And people, you know, if they would have been watching their son, and if this would have blah, blah, blah. And then I just couldn't believe, in my mind, I just couldn't believe that people were so insensitive. And then I thought to myself, if that person, if this person was standing in front of that couple that had just lost their son, would they have said these things? Or would they have hugged them and, and grieved with them? And it can be so easy to disconnect from people. And we feel like, I feel like Facebook and social media, we feel like, oh, it's amazing because it's connection. But honestly, I think it, it, it plugs in more disconnection in our life than we could ever imagine. Because we think that we're connected. We think that we know somebody by their pictures, by their quotes, by their posts. We don't know them at all because we haven't taken time to sit down with them and get to know their story and get to know their past and we have assumption after assumption after assumption. And at some point, they do something that's questionable, and we hide their story. They say something we don't like, and we hide, you know, we hide their page. Man, what if we were willing to see that person's hurt and see that person's deep need and reach out to them and not be the person that's ignoring them? And I know I'm guilty of that myself. So I believe that, too. See the value of people. You have to give permission to the Holy Spirit to partner with you. You have to give the Holy Spirit permission to stop you in your tracks. You know, to recognize your value and where it comes from, I think, means giving the Holy Spirit consistent and constant permission for input in your life. 
You know, because our first reaction is not to see the good, is not to assume the best. Maybe through our life we've gone through seasons of that. We're feeling extra, you know, graceful or extra gracious or whatever. But that's not our first reaction because we're flesh. It's just not. You know, I believe that the roots of judgment and condemnation are truly just lack and insecurity in our own lives. They always say that bullies, like, bully because they're deeply hurting, you know, and that's something that took a long time for me to really understand. So they say that, you know, the people that are bullying other people is they're really, they have a deep hurt, a deep insecurity, a deep issue in their life that they haven't dealt with. And bullying does not stop when we're kids. Bullying does not stop at high school. We see it all the time. You know, talking about social media, we see it on social media. And if we're someone that constantly picks out things about other people's lives and constantly is, you know, I can't believe they did that or whatever it is that our, you know, our struggle is that we say about people, you know, that stuff, it comes from deep hurt. And if it doesn't come from deep hurt, then maybe you're just a jerk. But... I think most of the time it's stemming from a lack and insecurity in our own lives because we want to either be better than someone or we want to just put them down so we can be on top. Or we just want to think that we know everything. I don't know. So you're either a jerk or you're deeply hurt, but if you fall into those categories, you you need Jesus. (laughs) So the bottom line is that you are someone that God sees worthy of his grace. You're no more or no less worthy than every single person that has ever been or that will ever be. This quote by Tim Keller, it says, You are more sinful than you ever dared to believe, and you are more loved than you ever dared to hope. You know, Christ would have died for me and me alone. And that's powerful. And that should change the way that I live. You know, Christ died for every single person on the planet to know him through grace. And that's powerful, and that should change the way that we live. This quote by Andy Andrews, it says, we are reconciled reconcilers becoming more like him every day. And this other quote is from my husband. And one of the sermons I got to sit in on because Raj stayed in the nursery. It says, God sends us out as ambassadors of reconciliation. You know, even the disciples who spent three years with God in the flesh still struggled with who was the best, who was going to sit at the right hand of God with Jesus. Like, they still struggle with that stuff. But God picked those people for a reason. They were unschooled and they were ordinary, but they had hope and faith. They may not have been filled with head knowledge, but they had faith and they had hope and they were teachable. There's definitely a difference between godly humility and crippling insecurity. There's a very big difference between those two. There's also a really big difference between rooting for someone wholeheartedly and then secretly hoping that they fall on their face, secretly hoping that you'll come out on top somehow. And we have to check our hearts, don't we? Because sometimes we think we're rooting for someone and we realize we're really not. I think that we should focus more on complementation, not confrontation. You know, how can, how can we work together with our differences, not changing our convictions, not becoming like the other person, Standing on what we believe in, you know, how can we work together? How can our differences complement each other? And I believe that that's the question we really should be asking ourselves. And then this is something I want to quickly hit on. I, I confuse myself here because I highlighted sections that I could leave out, that I thought, you know, I could leave this out. 
But then my brain is like, this should be important because it's highlighted. So I did myself a disservice there. Don't do that when you're changing your sermons. So when it comes to seeing your value, your past, it plays a massive role in your perception of yourself. You know, there are so many circumstances that shape your mentality, your personality, your perspective. We may have like a normal or good or bad upbringing compared to other people. Maybe you lived in with grandparents or aunts and uncles or in foster care or you were adopted. But all of those circumstances, they played a part in God, who God created you to be. You know, for you, I always think sometimes, I've thought before in my head, like, we have Raj in our arms. We, we lost out on 17 months of his life that we, we may never know. You know, we have videos and we have pictures. And, like, it's kind of like it would make more sense if, you know, he was just born to us and then he could just, we could have that time. But what I know, because I know that God creates us individually and perfectly, that there are intricacies in his life, in his DNA, that needed to come from one woman and from one man. And those people were not me and Justin. You know, so that's significant. God did not make a mistake in choosing the two people in your life that were your mom and your dad. You know, those people, you needed that DNA to become who you are today. So we don't work for acceptance. Grace means we work from acceptance. We don't work for acceptance. Grace means we work from acceptance. And you're accepted by grace. We just are. Whether you like it or not, you're accepted by grace, and that should change the way that we live. You know, that should compel us to share that grace and to not keep it to ourselves. So the second point I want to talk to you about is to see the value of the gospel. There's no better way to be called to action than to show and share God's grace. Romans 1.5, it says we receive grace and apostleship. So what does grace look like? Sharing it practically. You know, grace can be... You know, when we're walking out grace, it can be serving others and building the church and community, being gracious to one another, but ultimately it's sharing God's grace with others, sharing the good news of salvation. So to see the value in the gospel, grace should, should allow us to see the value of the gospel. So grace, especially when it comes to the gospel, it flows through us, but we're not the source of it. So take the pressure off. Because it's really hard for us to to understand God's grace fully because all we have on this earth are temporary examples. It's grace based on merit. It's grace based on how well we did, on how many times we messed up, if someone's going to write us out of their life or not because it's been too many times and they're done with it. So God removes the weight of being like him. You know, as he reminds us many times, like in Ephesians 1-7, he says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So that, that, that salvation, it only comes through him. We're not supposed to be Jesus. We're just supposed to point people to Jesus. So grace removes the weight of sin, but it doesn't remove the work of spreading the gospel. Oh, I was going to give away another gift card. Sorry, I got serious again, so I forgot. I'm going to give this one to the masters because it's their anniversary. But it's only enough for like one and a half coffees, so you might guys have got to fight for it. Justin gets the cheapest coffee at Starbucks always. He's like, what can I get that's this, basically the same thing, but it's the absolute cheapest. And I'm like, what can I get that has the most caramel and the most whipped cream and tastes the most like a dessert? <laughs> Two different people. So the gospel and grace, they flow through us. 
The source is God, we're not the source. This quote by Ian Bounds, it says, heads do not save, genius, brains, brilliancy, and natural gifts and strength do not save. The gospel flows through hearts. And something quick I want to hit on, if I have time, I think I have time, is um, just about when you have the opportunity to share grace with somebody, I think a lot of times that can come through praying for people, through praying for salvation or for financial blessing or for really anything. Um, and something I've experienced in my life, and I've um, just recently kind of figured more, like figured it out kind of more, what I really want to say about it, is um, to pray out of compassion when you pray for people. You know, compassion, the first part of the word, calm, it means with, and passion means Christ's suffering. Keep Christ's suffering in mind when you pray for people, realizing that you're not the source, that you're not meant to have the answer, that you're just meant to partner with people. You're just meant to be there. And um, so I've had people pray, you know, over my life for fertility and for healing and for um, blessing and favor. And there's times where I've really not question God, it made me question them. You know, did they really hear the voice of God when they were sharing that with me? Or did they just say what kind of felt good? You know, what kind of made them feel good to say? So don't just, you, you should definitely have passion, but don't just pray out of passion. You know, don't let whatever thought pops in your mind just roll off your tongue just to say the right words or say what you think will inspire emotional reaction. You know, this quote by Melissa Helsertz, she's someone at, that served at Bethel Church, and she has been through chronic pain for over uh, 20 years. And she said, oftentimes what the Father heals first is our view of what he's really like before he even heals our body. And you get to demonstrate what the Father is really like. You know, how many times have, has God just sat with you in the quiet, quiet and ministered peace to you just by his presence? And I think we need to learn how to sit better in the quiet with people in their brokenness, you know, and not have the answer. Even if our hearts ache to give them the answer, just to sit with them. So we're not meant to fix people or their problems, just to partner with them. Because people aren't projects. So share grace God's way, not deviating or overcomplicating. And this last point is to see the value in every season. Because God sees the big picture and he knows the growth and the faith that would be birthed in each season if we let grace intervene. So to see the value in every season is the third point. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8, it says... But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their home and confidence, or hope and confidence. Home kind of works too. Their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. You know, fruit will grow in every season of our lives, but it's just a question of what fruit. It can be just as hard, I think, to grow in seasons of abundance as it can in seasons of want. Because in seasons of abundance, don't we almost kind of, like, we thank God in the moment. We're like, God provided, you're so amazing, and I won't never stop thanking you. But then we get comfortable because God provided, and we don't really need him as much in that season. And we kind of forget our desperate need for a Savior. And so fruit stops growing sometimes because we've gotten what we think will complete us, which is never going to happen in this life. Because two weeks later, one month later... It's going to be the next thing, you know. But I think in seasons of want, we can get so focused on what God's not doing, on where he is. You know, I've, I've literally been at points in my life where I've been shouting at the ceiling like God lives in my attic or something. Where are you? Like, where are you? Can you see me? Can you see me? I'm hurting. Where are you? 
And he's right there. You know, he's right there beside us in those moments. We don't need to shout at the sky. He's right with us. You know, do we get a break or time out from bearing fruit in hard times? Doesn't it feel like we should just get a pass sometimes? Like, if you have a diagnosis of cancer, shouldn't your medical bills just be covered? Shouldn't that just be a thing? Like, shouldn't it? I would love my tax dollars to go to that. Can my tax dollars go to that? And, you know, it seems like some people, they end up with every hardship thrown at them. Like, people say to me, you should just get a bubble suit. Because, like, every, like, crazy, like, injury happens to me. I don't know why nobody's just bought me one. Would someone just buy me a bubble suit already? No, but not really. I actually probably would walk around in it, but I'd probably fall and pop the bubbles and still hurt myself. You know, the fruit in some seasons may be patience or gentleness or self-control, which are not really the ones we like to work on. We don't really get a pass to stop growing. Does that mean we don't grieve our disappointment? Absolutely not. Does it mean that we fake it? Never. Never. This quote by Joni Erickson Tata, and if you don't know who she was, she was bound to a wheelchair for most of her life. Um, she says, when the devil insists God's people only serve him when life is easy, I have the high honor of proving him wrong. To be on the battlefield where the mightiest forces in the universe converge in warfare, by God's grace, I'm all in. You know, this, this, by, this quote is by Jill um, from a devotional called Show Up. And Jill and her friend, they, one of them was, was battling cancer and one of them was just walking on the journey with her. I feel like I, don't, I hate the word journey. If it's a journey, you should at least get to go on a cruise, right? It's not really a journey. It's like, I don't even know what to call it. But she says, when the good moments come, cherish them. When there's something to celebrate, turn up the music and dance. Suffering gives us all the more reason to find the smallest good and expand on it. And when the lows come, as they inevitably will, cry and weep and mourn. The sadness is just as important as the celebrating. Just as important. I'm going to wrap up my sermon here. The worship team wants to come up. You know, have you ever looked back in your life and something that you thought was just cruel and unjust and it just seemed not fair that you realized it was grace? You know, grace can sometimes come in the form of no's and closed doors and not yet's. Have you ever prayed for your will and not God's? You know that I've done that a lot. You know, our friend Denise that recently passed away and we're all still walking through grieving her life, even though we know she's in heaven, it doesn't make it less hard for us here on earth. I remember the last time I saw her was a Friday and she passed on Saturday morning, early in the morning. And I think in my soul I knew that it was the last time I would see her on this earth with life in her body. And so I went down to the chapel, which to me kind of seemed cliche. You really just see that in movies, but you see it in movies when people are so desperate that they're just, will do anything. I remember opening the Bible in there and it was the verse that said, we'll walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And I just begged God, please let her walk before the Lord in the land of the living, please. Just over and over again, I begged him. And then I went and I wrote in a prayer book. I wasn't really sure what to write. But as I started to write, the sentence that I was writing, it started to end in your will, God's will. 
And I just stood there before I wrote those two words. And I thought to myself, how can I end this sentence any other way? How can I end this sentence any other way? That makes grammatically correct because other people will look at this. How can I end it in any other way that doesn't say your will? You know, I was writing it in pen. I was like, can I just scratch this out? Like, can I start over? But I needed to finish that prayer. I knew that when I wrote those words, your will, that my heart would have to come into line with God's truth. And I wasn't ready to do that. I knew that it would require obedience. And I was desperately clinging to provision. That was my way. So I ended the prayer very specifically, you know, after I said your will. And I made sure to let God know what his will should be. And how it should look in many details. And I, I remember writing, we thank you, God. We Like, it was so, it, it really was just manipulative, but God can't be manipulated. You know, I said, we thank you, God, that, that her body will come into complete healing, that every cell in her body would come into alignment with your, with your will and with your word. God, that her heart and her lungs would start to function properly. I just, all these specifics, because sometimes I just like to be specific with God, because I don't want to be general. I want my answers to be answered specifically. And so I kind of demanded, you know, that he do it. Your will, but my way. Really, my will, my way is what I kind of meant. Kind of gave him maybe a little bit of input. And so I asked him for complete healing on this earth. And I think what God knew is that complete healing was not going to happen on this earth. That a world that has remissions and reoccurrences and chemotherapy, that complete healing, it never would have happened in this life. So when I was asking for complete healing, my motive was wrong. I share that to say, you know, what gets us through these gut-wrenching and these tear-your-heart-out times when there's not an answer, when you feel like God's quiet, it's grace. You know, it's all grace and it's all free. It's love in action. It's God coming alongside us in a way that we each need him specifically. This quote by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who's someone that saw his share of grief in this life. It says, the Lord's mercy often rides to the door of our hearts on the black horse of affliction. Jesus uses the whole range of our experiences to wean us from earth and woo us into heaven. So we know and we see that God's grace, it is sufficient. You know, I've written on my arm, my grace is sufficient for you as a reminder. Like if it's on my body, I will believe it, right? I will live that way, right? How do we know? How do I know that God's grace is sufficient? Because I woke up this morning. Because I got out of bed this morning. And that means that God's grace is sufficient. I don't need any other proof that he loves me. That he has favor and purpose for my life. This quote by Jocelyn Soriano, it says, To find grace, we need not look so very far ahead. We need only look at the present moment. God gives us grace now, in the very moment that we need it most. I read this verse to you, and I know I'm going to go maybe a couple minutes over. 
It's from Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, message version. It says, there's an opportune time to do things, a right time for everything on the earth, a right time for birth and another for death, to plant and another to reap, a right time to kill and another to heal, a right time to destroy and another to construct, a right time to cry and another to laugh, a right time to lament and another to cheer, a right time to make love and another to abstain, a right time to embrace and another to part, a right time to search and another to count your losses, a time to hold up or hold on and another to let go, a right time to rip out and another time to mend, a right time to shut up and another to speak up, a right time to love and another to hate, a right time to wage war and another to make peace. It is always the right time to give and to receive grace. It's always the right time to let grace guide you and motivate you and carry you and sustain you. So what I want to ask of you tonight is how is grace calling you to action? Have you been letting God pour grace into your life and letting it flow through you but not letting it change you? you know, do you need to give grace more freely? Do you need to receive it more freely? Do you need to truly accept grace, the grace of God for the first time as your savior? So I just, if we can just sing the bridge of this song, and then I'm gonna close in prayer. We can just sing this, oh, what a savior, isn't he wonderful? And ask God tonight in the ways that he is trying to show us grace. Let's worship him tonight.